Hey everyone, thanks for joining. Today I'm speaking again with Erica Sanzi. Erica is now the Director of Outreach at Parents Defending Education. It's an organization to help parents push back against some of the uh, new diversity initiatives in schools. Um, and diversity is in quotes here. Hi Erica, thanks for coming back. Hey, great to see you. Thanks for having me again. So yeah, your organization, uh, or the organization you're working for, I don't, I don't want to say it's yours, um, how did that come about? Like, I know Oscar Nomani is involved and I know you're involved and I mean, a few other people, like, was it just concerned parents that got together and it just came out organically, but how did it come about? Well, our president and founder is Nicole Neely. Uh, she goes by Nikki and she had already started a nonprofit organization a few years ago called speech first. That was totally devoted to higher education and um, the free speech issues on college campuses and particular concern, I believe around these anti-bias response teams that had been put in place. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that was where it started. But then I don't know if you remember that in Evanston, Illinois, um, the superintendent announced that they were going to decide which students could come back to in-person schooling based on their skin color. I, okay, that's something I missed. So it was a, something, I'd have to look it up for exact words, but it, it was something about how it was going to be determined based on whether or not they belonged to a historically marginalized group. Okay. And they got quick pushback because that's obviously against the law. Um, but I think that that sparked in her because she's also from the Chicago area. Mm -hmm. I think that that was you know, a moment where she saw that. Wait a second. We've got a big problem now in in K-12. And, I, you know, I, that that was a catalyst. So, you know, as she learned more about what was going on in K-12 and as she's seeing again, like this very concerning increase in activism in indoctrination in the use of propaganda in in limiting the free speech of students and staff you know not even allowing dissent about obviously open questions and common and topics that for about which people can have very different opinions um uh you know compelled speech which is again also prohibited under the first amendment and so Voila, here we are. Now we're five working mothers um, who have come to this, you know, sort of for in different ways. Um, other, we're all parents and some of us have are struggling with this, you know, very personally in our children's schools. I'm not one of those people, actually. I am not dealing with the issues that I, you know, read about from parents all over the country every day. Um, uh, others of us have been on school committees and worked in classrooms. And so, you know, we have like a variety of lenses that we bring to, uh, this work. Yeah. So that's how it started. There is, you know, um, you may have already noticed that predictably outlets like the Washington post and education week, et cetera, have, you know, really worked to paint this corner of being a right-wing group or a conservative group. But that is not the case. We are totally nonpartisan. We don't, those of us working here have a variety of different political beliefs and come, you know, there's certainly not, not a uniform agreement on really anything between us, except for the fact that what's happening in classrooms right now um, is, is uh, alarming it is often discriminatory. It is damaging to students. It is really divisive. It is destructive. It, it, it uses shame on other people's children. And, uh, and we're committed to doing what we can to help expose what's going on and then empower parents with the tools to, you know, fight these battles in their communities. Okay. Um, one thing you'd mentioned there, because it's something I've noticed a lot. Like, oh, this is just a right-wing group. Now, I noticed this because of the conversation around Islam. So anyone who spoke out about, against Islam, oh, you're using right-wing talking points. Oh, you're talking like a right-wing person. And and there were, okay, like uh, there's a guy, Robert Spencer, he does this, he has his organization called Jihad Watch. 
Robert Spencer is right wing. And, you know, he's, I describe him the same way Michael Malice describes mainstream media. He's factual, but he's not truthful. Mm. Okay, like he takes facts. Like this guy actually read the Quran, read the Hadith, read, you know, like he's not ignorant, but he twists those around and it makes the conversation harder. Now, it's the same thing here. I see the same thing with this stuff. It's, oh, you're right wing. Oh, you're using right wing talking points. Oh, that's, you know, far right. That's, it's, and then I'll equate that to something else. Like it's, and this is just, you know, maybe my, my tinfoil hat theory or whatever. But if you look at uh, some of the work Zach Goldberg did on media, and I think it was part of his PhD dissertation, and it's like the, you know, the accusations of racism and everything that, that went up. If you look at media from 2000 on, after 9-11, they made Islamophobia and all that. They said, oh, that's right wing. During the Obama years, it's like, oh, racism is right wing and it's far right, blah, 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 blah. I mean, like things like the Tea Party didn't help. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not fully absolving the right of any of this, but they made right wing equal to evil. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, because I mean, I guess they've overplayed the, the Nazi thing or whatever, but. So that's all they do. Oh, it's just right wing. So automatically that makes you guys the bad guys because they've, you know, they've purposely made right wing evil. And I've, I've seen that happen like from 2000 on. And so that's, I think that's one of the issues here that it's the corruption of the media that's helping this thing come along. Oh, there's no question. I mean, you know, I just think about like, I'm not a person who's really into giving money to candidates. Mm-hmm. I think I've, I've been given to five candidates in my life. And when I say given, we're not talking like a lot of money here. Like the most I've probably ever given to one is a hundred dollars. And probably the least I've ever given to someone is like 25. But if I've given to five candidates total in my life and four of the five were Democrats, it is fascinating to me that I would be, you know, suddenly this right winger. Now, are they leftists? Are they far left people? No. Um, you know, are there, could somebody make the argument that, that I maybe am more center to center right? Yes, they could certainly make that argument. But I don't think of people who land there as, you know, again, right winger to me puts somebody kind of very far over into the spectrum. So our president is a self-described libertarian. Free speech is her thing. Her grandparents met in a Japanese internment camp, right? So, so this is personal to her. I don't really know what her political philosophy has to do with that. In the case of Asra Nomani, um, my colleague, she describes herself as a liberal Muslim feminist. Yeah. Yet again, she's now been put in this box of right winger, which is obviously incoherent. Now, clearly it's because when you aren't subscribing to the dominant narrative, then you are the bad guy. And the people who are, you know, telling everyone out there who the bad guys are, think that one of the best ways to make you look like a bad guy is to say that you're right wing. Yeah. Okay, fine. I mean, okay, whatever. But again, it's just lazy. It's so lazy. And it's also dishonest in this case, because it is so clear that the pushback to what is happening in classrooms, you know, again, around this, this, this refusal and movement away from diversity of viewpoint, this compelling speech, this shaming of children, other people's children on the basis of their immutable traits, right? This is not a partisan thing. It is a very bipartisan, cross-racial, cross-class reality that people don't like this. Yeah. Um, okay. About that. Like, are you able to talk about some of the things you've seen in some of the schools? Like just, I mean, I obviously I don't want you to like name parents or students or anything like that, but if you can talk about some of the things that have been going on in schools. I just want people to, you know, get more of an idea of what's going on there. Yeah. And that's actually an important question. Cause another thing that happens a lot, um, you know, not just with our group, but just happens whenever we're talking about, I feel like issues like this, right, is you're immediately going to get accused of you're just cherry picking these really these outlier incidents. Mm. You're just cherry picking those. But like this isn't really happening. You know, you've just had to search high and low to find these egregiously bad cases. And again, 
that's just simply not the truth. Now, are there super fringe, crazy things that happen? You know, we see these videos go viral. Yes. Those are things that, you know, that a superintendent, a school district would obviously condemn. And, and so, but that's not what we're talking about. You know, we're talking about policies, district-wide policies being put in by school boards, supported by superintendents. Um, so it's not, now, do we occasionally have an issue with a teacher that goes rogue? Yes, we do. And that's partly because we're fooling ourselves if we don't think that rogue teachers can have a big impact and do a lot of damage. But generally speaking, that's really not what we're looking at. So let's talk about some of the examples. Um, should we start with a really, really egregious one or should we work our way up? I'll leave it up to you. <laughs> so um, fresh in my mind is the a situation uh, unraveling right now in, Mass in a Massachusetts district where uh, Wellesley, Massachusetts is the name of the district. And I'm very sad to report that that is my alma mater. And I also taught there for four years from 1998 to 2002. So what happened there recently, I would tell you was, would be unimaginable to me, you know, at the time that I was there, but they, like many districts, um, you know, they have a, I don't know the title exactly, but they have a diversity equity inclusion type of, um, director and districts that have a person in that position increasingly feel the need to comment on every single event happening in the news that could in any way be linked to um, any of those issues, right? So we'll take the example of the shooting in Atlanta. So the recent shooting in Atlanta at the spa where I believe there were six Asian women victims and two non-Asian female victims, if I'm getting it right. Yeah. And the um, and the FBI has said that they just don't have evidence that that was a racially motivated shooting. Well, the school districts don't care about that because they've sent out emails and missives, you know, to families and to students using the term hate crime to describe what occurred there. And then they've decided that students who don't live anywhere near Atlanta who have no connection to this spa, who have no connection to this incident, need time to process the shooting in Atlanta. Right. So, so we're so we're adding to the plates of students without really knowing. I mean, there's a good chance they didn't really hear about it, or if they did, they were like, oh, you know, that's really bad. On to the next thing, right? So in this district, they decided to have a healing event for students and staff to process the events in Atlanta. And the event was for Asians and BIPOC students, but it explicitly wrote in writing with asterisks for emphasis that white identifying students were not allowed to attend. But isn't that like a Title Seven violation, like a Title Seven of the Charter? I think rights? it's Title Six. Um, it's, okay. it, it is a hundred percent a violation of federal law. You cannot exclude people based on their race in a public school, for sure. And so, um, and, and then they went on to say, you know, if you if you a white student need to process this too, you can talk to your guidance counselor. And if you don't understand why you're not allowed to attend, you know, I can explain. So that would be an egregious case because it is a violation of federal law. You know, there's no gray on this one. Mm -hmm. And so parents defending education recently, I think two days ago, we filed a complaint with the office of civil rights against that school district. Now, Oh, you know, people might say, oh, please, you know, that's obviously an outlier. Well, not exactly, because quite a few months ago, I wrote about a school in L.A. that was segregating families and students based on their, you know, immutable traits and or, you know, I never know where to put certain characteristics. Right. So if you're if you're having a special group just for people who identify as LGBTQ, I don't know if we're calling that a mute an immutable trait, but it's certainly, again, a a and a social identity that they're using to divide people. Um, 
we have, and we receive a lot of submissions from schools that say that their children are being divided during the school day separated during the school day, not every day, right? But they have these events or they have these special days where they separate children by their race during the school day. Okay, I mean, that's, okay. Like I read about the Dalton school in New York city. So that was, I think 2015. I don't know if it was because the name I hear Dalton school and I hear Fieldstone Academy. I don't know if it's the same thing or if it's all in one building and it's different schools, but in 2015, they sent letters home to their parents and they said, we'd like you to tell the, us what race your child identifies at. And this was also because there was a lot of mixed race kids um, and they didn't know where to put them. 45 minutes a week, they divided kids starting as young as third grade. So this was a, it was a K through eight school. And so from third grade to eighth grade, they divided kids up by race. They sat the white kids down and they told them how they were oppressors and how they've oppressed everyone and everything is their fault. And they, then all the other kids, so if it was black kids, they talk about how they'd been oppressed by the whites. And then they talked about the achievements of black people in the U.S., which that's good. I have no issue with that. Like that part's fine. But after a few weeks or maybe a couple of months, the white kids started spouting off white supremacist rhetoric because they were told that they were evil. And I mean, you split these kids up by race. And the school since then has had... They've had kids taunting each other in the hallways because of racism. Racism has grown in that school. Now, okay, just if you have that as an example, why would other schools start doing the same thing? Like it's, you know, is it like, you know, real racism, realism has never been tried or real race essentialism has never been tried. Like real Marxism has never been tried. Like is that kind of thing or. Well, it does. I mean, no, it really does. I mean, we have a legal framework in place precisely to ensure that black and white people could drink from the same water fountain and sit at the same lunch counter and, and sit wherever they wanted on the bus. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's almost as if Irshad Manji says this. So I want to give her credit. Mm -hmm. Um, Irshad Manji, who is the founder of moral courage project and actually now has a K-12 program called moral courage ed. Um, But she, she says she says that it's not so, it's not the what, it's the how, right? And so she says, when you use those same tactics of division to solve the problem, you're actually duplicating the very problem you claim you're trying to solve. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't get how dividing kids by race and setting them against each other, that's basically what they're doing, is going to help anything. Like, it, it's well, and you can make the case for anything, right? Like is, is, we are very focused on race these days because that just is what seems to be getting the most attention because that seems to be where schools are putting the most attention. But we see the same ha- thing happening around this gender issue, right? Mm-hmm. That a male student is taught very young in, again, not all schools are doing this, but it is mm-hmm. common enough for them to be taught, you know, that they as males are part of this oppressor class. And their sisters are being told that being born female in the United States of America puts them in an oppressed class. Now, when you ask, huh, well, could you just tell me, you know, just one right that females in the United States don't have that males do? There is obviously they can answer that question because there isn't one. Yeah, they'll bring up the pay gap and things like that, and then you know, if you actually and, look. And, and, and even right, so, so so it'll be and it'll be a couple articles on the pay gap, maybe from Vox or Huffington Post. And the reality is, like people should talk about and look at the pay gap and look at the different mm-hmm. numbers and how they measure it. But they also need to know that that boys are being left in the dust by their sisters on almost every single measure we have. Or they need to know that the life expectancy of males is going down. It is now five years less than women. You know, they need to know that males commit suicide at a much higher rate. Now, there's other metrics that they need to look at that could, I suppose, bolster the case, 
right? That America is a patriarchy. My problem is that if you don't give kids all the information and all the measures and all the metrics and then say to them, what do you think? You know, do you think that being a woman in the United States makes you oppressed? Or do you think that we live in a patriarchy? Okay, fine. Have the conversation, have the debate, make them strong enough that they could actually debate either side. But instead it's this, it's this, it's, it's immediate up. Oh, oh, you're a male. You go on the, you're on the, you're on the oppressor side. Oh, you're heterosexual. And I'm asking you, my, my students, my middle school students about their sexual orientation. So I've already crossed major boundaries. And then we're going to also tell you, oh, and because you're heterosexual, you're an oppressor as well. And so it goes down the list and it gets all tangled up, of course, because, you know, because people like to say these things intersect and that makes that makes it really difficult for any of this to make any sense because it doesn't. Yeah. Okay. About that, like with the kids and all that, but just like I saw some of the videos of Oscar Nomani giving testimony uh, to, or I don't know if it's called testimony, but it was at the school board. She was speaking there. Yeah. So that would be public testimony. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So the way the school board reacted to her, is that common for parents? Like, are they like, are the school boards and like PTAs and things like that getting more and more hostile towards parents? Like what's going on with that? Um, I mean, again, I would say it depends, but certainly common. And especially for someone like Asra, because Asra is a person who has spoken out for a long time, you know, so they, as soon as she's ready to speak, a lot of people on that board have already decided they don't like what she said, what what she's going to say. They hear before they hear it, they don't like what she's going to say. Right. Um, and because she's an investigative journalist who is really digging deep, you know, and getting and exposing information that makes them look so bad, you know, of course they don't like her. But the point is, that's still unacceptable. Treating her that way is not acceptable. We, we've seen recently in multiple cases, you have a parent practically bearing their soul, right? Which, by the way, takes courage. It, you know, it's not nothing to get up in front of a school board and to speak on issues that are highly contentious, highly emotional, and will likely get you called really ugly names. So then to have the board, you know, fixating on the fact that your mask fell below your nose rather than responding to what it is that you're saying. I mean, I used to be kind of one of those gadflies that was at the school committee meetings, you know, at the podium every single meeting, like, you know, being a major pain in the ass of the school committee. I can admit that, but, but, I, you know, you do it because you feel like you change is needed and you feel like people need to know what's going on. And you as a person who has, you know, if you have the temperament to do it and your skin is thick enough to do it and you have the information and the passion, you know, and, and, uh, and what's interesting is I feel that this has galvanized people. There's a lot of people going to those microphones that have never done that before. And they're also, again, seeing the disrespect that, can come in their direction when they choose to do that. Now it's not everywhere. There's plenty of school committee meetings happening every single week where people are being treated perfectly fine. You know, so I don't mean to, I don't want to broad brush it, but, but what happened to Oscar Nomani and the way she was treated is not an outlier either. Like kind of sticking with this a little bit, well, kind of not, I just say stick with this, but something you'd mentioned earlier, like about boys falling behind. But when you look at the statistics, I think it's what, like 66% can't read at grade level. And that's like all students, right? Um, you know, I think it's higher for math. I think it's only like about 20% of pe- kids can do math at a grade level. So w- when you see that, and then now there's push in Virginia, I think New York, California, Oregon, Washington, to get rid of standards, to get rid of the SAT, to get rid of the, like, you know, the advanced placement tracks, um, who like how how can the school justify that when they can't even teach kids basic reading and maths yeah that's kind of the million dollar question i'm always fascinated at how little the uh activists pushing some of what you just described seem to actually care about student achievement and how they almost are it's like they almost Excellence is not on the menu. It doesn't seem. Um, I don't know what, I mean, equity has become a word that 
is so confusing to people intentionally. Um, and some districts are explicit enough where they'll literally put on their website and in their materials that they are, their goal is to ensure equitable outcomes. Now, we can't even achieve equitable outcomes for people who grow up in the same house, yep. go to the same schools, have the same parents, right? So the idea that it, equitable outcomes is even remotely a realistic goal is insanity, partly because we humans are born with unique gifts and talents. So, you know, to have put me, not a strong math student, into the class with the kids that were high flyers in math and could have really achieved a lot and maybe gone on to become who knows what, you know, an astronaut or some job where that requires a lot of math. Being in, if they had jumbled me in with them, they would not have been able to get as far because I would have slowed them down. And it's not a, oh, woe is me. It's, it's, it, it's, it's a, let's be honest, right? Like my natural gifts weren't in math. I didn't fail it. I wasn't getting D's. I wasn't, but I, I sh an accelerated track for math would not have been the right thing for me. But if you had forced all of the superstar math kids to be in my class, you know, all through middle school and up till, you know, 11th grade, they would have been sitting there at their desks reading an independent reading book bored because they understood this concept 10 days ago and Sandy's still trying to get it. But yeah, like this stuff, I mean, like, that, like this is what I, I don't understand. It's just, okay, kids are failing. Kids aren't doing well. So, 18, can I say something too? 18% mm -hmm. of boys, black boys in the eighth grade read on grade level. 18 percent okay. and yet when we hear talk about all of this stuff related to race and or and racism and whiteness and all these other words right no one is talking about the fact that only 18 percent of black boys in eighth grade can read on grade level that's just like a minor like oh yeah you know as if all this performative bullshit is in all these hashtags and all these BLM flags flying in schools are going to do a damn thing about the fact that those boys can't read and that and that the correlation between knowing how to read and and not ending up in prison and having a really great life where you can become mm -hmm. the best version of yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. Where's the there's no, where's the attention on that? No, there's none because that's substance. Has anyone even asked them like, OK, Great, you're putting all these curriculums, even like without even discussing what's in the curriculum. If the kids can't read, how the hell are they supposed to read the books of these curriculums? But isn't that the beauty of indoctrination, <laughs> right? We tell you, you don't need to be able to read these materials because we're going to tell you. You know, that's why you hear so much regurgitation of terms mm -hmm. that if you actually were to say, okay, let's wait a second. Let's go through all these words you just used and tell me what they mean. A lot of the kids can't do that. It's the same thing when students used to wear stickers around, um, you know, that they were against charter schools and against school choice. So you ask one of them a simple question about a charter school. They have no idea what it is. Some grown up told them to wear that sticker. So it's very similar to that, right? It's grown-ups telling them, deciding what the truth is for them, you know, deciding what, uh, what they need to think, believe, and then propagate in the name of social justice, racial justice. And, and, and while I really do believe that a lot of people that are, you know, falling victim to this almost feels like a cult, if I'm being honest, um, have good intentions. They think they're doing the right thing. You know, these, how, you know, how could they not be in favor of diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-racism? But the problem is that when people redefine terms, 
you're no longer the words that you think you're subscribing to no longer mean what you thought they meant, at least not in the eyes of the people that are spending the money and bringing the programs into the schools. On that, because I wanted to speak to you about that, because I've been seeing it a lot online lately. And okay, so I think I mentioned this to you before, but I spent close to 18 months reading pretty much nothing but critical race theory. And I'm going to call it all collectively critical race theory, and I can tie it all together. But, you know, I read some gender stuff as well and queer theory, but it was mainly just critical race theory. Now, the pushback now, like a lot of it, oh, there's no critical race theory in, in, in schools. And so that's why I've been like kind of specifically saying, you know, critical race theory based education or critical race theory based curriculum. It's the same way I would equate it to if you had intelligent design in schools. That's not Christianity, but that's Christian based curriculum. So that's what this that's stuff true. is. So like that pushback now, because you can't define this stuff, right? Like, oh, you're, you're pushing back against diversity. But when you try to tell someone like, you know what, if you had 50 people on a panel of 50 different racial identities and whatever, but you had one straight white person, that would be less diverse than a panel of like 50 black people or 50 Asian people or 50 you know, Indian people, whatever, because as soon as you put one white person on it, they say the whiteness has taken over everything. So like, like that pushback that you're like that's coming now that oh this is not CRT oh this is not this like how can like I mean I'm assuming you're trying to get help, help parents understand what some of this stuff is so when a parent goes into you know let's say they go on your website and I know there's also um, uh, fair like mm-hmm. uh, and yeah the foundation uh, against intolerance and racism yeah and there's a couple other little things starting up for ki- parents in school you know like. When a parent goes up and oh, you're using critical race theory, this and that, like, are you, is that one of the things you're trying to help with parents is like how to push back and how to use correct terminology? Because I mean, it's easy for these people to say, oh, that's not critical race theory. And yeah. Okay. Technically Robin DiAngelo is not critical race theory. It's whiteness studies, but that is an offshoot of critical race theory. It's, it's like saying Mormonism has nothing to do with Christianity. Yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, he's got, it's different Mm -hmm. prophecies and you got the stupid planet you get to go to after you die and all that, which is not Christian, but it's based on Christianity. Mm -hmm. And like I said, like the intelligent design is based on Christianity. So how do you, like, how do you help parents navigate that kind of stuff? Because no one has the time like I did to spend 18 months reading this garbage. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's, that's a really important point. And, 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 and again, the activists who are, you know, pushing this into schools and onto schools, um, they are relying on the fact that people don't have time to read it. You know, they're mm-hmm. relying on the fact that they don't have time to read it. And they're also relying on the fact that if they dissent a little and immediately get, you know, crushed with accusations of being white supremacists, you know, that a lot of people will say, okay, like I'm done speaking out, like someone else can do that. Um, I think it's really important uh, to make the distinction between what something's called and what actions and practices are occurring in the school building with kids. You know what I'm saying? I feel like uh, this, this new arguing over terms is also in some ways not a super productive conversation simply because at the end of the day, we want to know what you're doing with kids. So you can call it whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. But if you're dividing children up by race, if you're forcing biracial children who have one white parent to go into the group with the, with the BIPOC kids after they already, you know, they, so so they, they have to pick one, you know, they Mm -hmm. go over to the white group, they're instructed, demanded that they go over to the other group and then told they need to understand that they can never be, feel full, totally comfortable around white people. I don't give a crap. I don't care what they call that. Right. Mm. And so if we go through all these things, if you're using this oppressor oppressed frame, if you're using shame mm. to denigrate children on the basis of their immutable traits, what you're doing is wrong. And so, and then we can kind of get away from, well, this isn't really critical because the truth is you can read books on critical race theory 
And then other people will tell you, well, that's not critical race theory. You can pull passages out of books by people who are literally considered to be critical race theorists. And the response you'll get is, well, that's not critical race theory. Or you'll get the whole, well, that's the theory, but that's not the way it's used in practice. I mean, it's, it's a stupid, it's, it's become an exercise in futility, right? Because again, what, what, what the Wellesley public schools did, I don't know, you know, where that emanated from necessarily what it's called. I know that they broke the law. Yeah. But okay. Again, that's very similar to Islam. Okay. To become Muslim, you just have to say, it's called a Shada. You just say, you know, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. You say that in Arabic and you do it in front of a couple of witnesses. You're a Muslim. Like that's all it takes. But as soon as, you know, someone leaves Islam or starts questioning it or wants to reform it. Oh, you don't know enough. You didn't read enough. Oh, go speak to this mullah. Go speak to this imam. It's the you same thing. No, right. You didn't do the work. Yeah. And don't ask me to do it for you. I'm not yeah. going to do the work for you. Yeah. But it's like, okay, you know what? Yeah. I'm not saying I've read everything about critical racery. Like, oh, I spent 18 months reading this stuff. Like I, I, you know, I started with Derek Bell and I worked my way down to Kendi and D'Angelo. Like, you know, I, I, I did the work, you know, like, I, I mean, the amount of papers I read and some of this stuff is, is mind numbing. I mean, and it's horrific. Like I read one and I'm trying to find it again, just so I could post it online, but it was saying that the slaves that were brought over uh, to the United States because their labor helped the colonizers, the slaves were complicit in the genocide of the natives. Now, who does that help now? But like, so it, it's the same kind of religious bullshit. It's, it's it, like I said, it is a cult and they use the same tactics as any fundamentalist religion when you're discussing against it. So like that drives me crazy. But one of the things like I was wanting to ask you about, cause I've seen this a couple of times and I've seen it not necessarily in schools, but I've seen it around colleges uh, and I've heard about it in schools, but I haven't seen anything definitive. So like in colleges and stuff, there's one, there's a coach, I think, 20 years earlier, his father had said something racist. So the coach got fired. There was another one. I think it was in Toronto. It was a Middle Eastern man. His daughter made some comment disparaging BLM. So they attacked the guy's business. Now I've heard about things where parents have said something in a meeting and then their kids in school are being singled out by teachers. I mean, again, that's something that Muslim countries do they'll attack your family because you're in a, you know, like there's a woman, uh, Masi Alinejad. She's been, she's amazing. She speaks out against Iran. Her brother got imprisoned. Her sister-in-law got oh, harassed. Yes, I follow her. Yes. Yes. I'm very, okay. I follow her. Uh, yeah. I mean, it happens in China where dissidents outside of China speak and then their family in China gets attacked. Like, I don't know if that's common or if that's happening or if like, have you heard about things like that or, um, I mean, there's no question that retaliation and retribution are one of the fears that keep parents from speaking out, especially if they've had experience where, you know, they did and something happened. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not comfortable saying that that's the norm, but it is certainly true because again, these are human beings and human beings Mm -hmm. behave in lots of ways, including lots of really bad ways. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, we're seeing parents who question down in Loudoun County. We saw parents that were questioning what was happening, being, you know, put on a list and people were supposed to like oh, yeah. go harass them at their homes. So, so it's certainly, I mean, I've even seen, you know, little dumb things. I can remember, I think when I was on school committee or, 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 or something, it was like, you know, some, some trip, maybe it was like a French trip doesn't happen or get, doesn't get approved. So then the, the kid of the school committee member who's in the French class the next day is basically told in front of the whole class, you know, you know, it's your dad's fault that we don't get to go. I mean, t- teachers have always done, you know, made yeah. those kinds of mistakes. Now, th- that's a kind of a less serious topic, but it's the same concept. Um, and, but the thing is, retribution actually is also against the law. So, you know, people need to be really careful about what they're doing with that. Um because another thing that has come up and here's another you know, little story that I'll tell about a, a, an anecdote from a parent is that, you know, a student spoke up in a class because the whole Black Lives Matter thing has become such a difficult challenge because there's so many people who just think that it's those three words and it just means those three words. And of course, mm-hmm. they embrace that, you know, 
but but they're not familiar at all with the organization, the ideological movement, the te- you know the tenets of Black Lives Matter, what it is that they call for, their opinions on anything from you know what's happening right now with Israel and Palestine versus their views on capitalism v- versus their views on the nuclear family. They just don't know. So they hear three words that they, of course, believe to be true. And they think, of course, I want to, you know, why wouldn't I want to subscribe to that? Wear the T-shirt, put the sign in my yard. You know, why wouldn't I want my kid's school to hang the banner at the entrance? (laughs) So that has has brought up another problem, because for kids in schools who do know about much more about this (laughs) and who have the the courage to dissent and to say something in class like, you know, of course I believe that the, 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 those three words, but I really feel like the way it's being used here is much more about the organization and I don't agree with X, Y, Z. Well, that can be a social death sentence for a kid because in this case, you know, girl dissents about BLM in a health class, word gets out, next thing you know, she's being followed to the bus, harassed, yelled at, videotaped, um, and bullied on video, you know, with someone yelling at her using all the language again, like do, are, do, do middle schoolers know all this jargon when they're, when they're yelling it at the, at the evildoer, or are they just regurgitating what they've heard? You know, now friends have decided they can't be friends with her because if, I, if I'm friends with you, you know, they're sending texts that we've seen. If, if I'm friends with you, people think I'm racist, so I can't be your friend anymore. And then the school says something like, and again, there were witnesses in the room. This is what they're saying. I don't have it in writing. So I need to put out there like maybe this didn't happen. But this is this is the mother's version of the story is that when she said, you know, here's the bullying harassment policy. Clearly, what just happened to my daughter, mm-hmm. you know, this applies. The answer was, well, it doesn't apply to your daughter because she's not part of a marginalized group. She has left the school and she's going to be do remote learning the rest of the year. And she's going to go to a different school next year. Okay. But you're not part of a marginalized group. I mean, like, I'm sorry. Like, you know, the now, bullying this, thing. It, no, no. The, you, the fact that bullying and, and, and uh, harassment policies, I mean, those policies apply to everyone equally. That's, that's what yeah. they are. They're, they're, they're in the student handbook that everybody signs off on, mm-hmm. not just some people sign off on it. Now, it could be that that person spoke out, you know, made a mistake. I'm guessing they probably did make a mistake. Maybe they misunderstood something. Uh, Maybe they got way over their skis. But the fact that anybody would think anything even remotely like that when somebody is being, you know, swarmed and then harassed on the bus. And by the way, let's remember, all she did was express an opinion that a huge number of people in this country also hold. Yeah. But I mean, like that's one of the stuff with this thing. And I, I keep bringing up this book, but um, I don't know if you read it. Kindly Inquisitors by Jonathan Roach. Um, I don't think I've read that book. Okay. I mean, it's, he's got a new one coming out, but I, I kind of, I recommend everyone read this book because it's, he talks about the threats to liberal science. I mean, what he calls like, you know, what we call liberal values, he calls liberal science. Um, and he says, you know, there's the fundamentalist threat, which was, he was talking about the Christian right, and he was talking about some fundamentalist Muslims in the late 80s and stuff. The book came out in like 92 or 93. You know, so against rock and roll, against heavy metal, against rap and all that stuff. Like, you know, then there was um, what he called the humanitarian threat. And he started talking, and he, he's showing examples from the 90s in colleges where, oh, that speech might harm students or that speech is racist. We have to ban it. And so this, like, why are you against diversity? They change the meaning of diversity, like, you know, black lives matter. Like they use these nice words, but they're using, I mean, like, this is what I think is the most insidious part of this. They're using people's good intentions against them. Correct. That is exactly right. And it's, I mean, for a lack of a better term, it's evil. They are you. That's exactly right. And they're and people are getting tripped up too. Like then they start to second guess themselves. Then they start to wonder, am I crazy? Then they start to, you know, they, they, they suddenly are almost are feeling an unease in themselves 
because of what they're being told about themselves by people who don't know them. They know nothing mm. about them, mm. you know, except their, again, you know, the, the boxes that they check about their race and their gender and their nation of origin and their sexual orientation and whether or not they identify, you know, with their biological sex. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous that they do this. I, I, like I'm again, I'm seeing this and I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you last time we talked, but it was with this racial stuff and the, the, the dividing and all that a friend of mine, uh, he wrote this in medium and he was talking about his two sons and he's, you know, he's white. His wife is, um, I think she's Chinese, but you know, like whatever she's Asian. So his kids are, you know, mixed race. And these are young kids. They're not, I, I, I'm going to get it wrong, but I think he said when he wrote it, they were like in third or fourth grade, something around there. Like, and one of the kids came home and this is only a couple of years ago. He came home and said, I wish I wasn't half white. Oh, I'm this like, is, we're hearing this. This is, okay. you have no idea how, how much this is happening. But I mean, you're, you're screwing up kids. Like this is, this is going to like, like I have a friend who's a, he's a counselor in the UK. I think he finally like he, got, he finished his therapist license, but he used to be a counselor. Now, he, he, but you know, he's he have people come in and say, "Okay, I'm I got anxiety because I lost my job." You know, like things where. He, but he said he was starting seeing more and more people come in in like their twenties. He said, "I have anxiety because I'm white." Mm-hmm. Now, this is not making for a healthy population. This no. is not making you know like and and the counter side of this. Like during, like right after the George Floyd killing, and there was all you know all the the protests and the riots and whatever. Like, got to keep those two things separate. But okay, there was one. It was a picture of a girl in the UK, and she looks to be about six years old, and she's holding up a sign that points toward that says "Privilege" and "Black Lives Matter." Oh, I saw oh, that. Yes. Okay, to me that was disgusting. But there was another one where it was a young black boy, maybe ten or eleven. Like, you know, I can't tell kids' age, but he was playing in his front yard or in his driveway or something. And then a cops come by like a cop car drives by and the kid starts crying and goes, runs to hide. And he said, they're going to come and kill me. Yep. Now I'm just, okay. And you know, whatever, but that kid has more of a chance to be killed by another black person than he does by a cop. You know, like that level of fear and anxiety being pushed on little children. I mean, you know, I know people say, Oh, kids are resilient and all that, but I'm sorry, but that, that doesn't, that is not going to make for healthy adults. It's not going to make for a healthy society. Like, it, again, don't don't the schools think of these things, or are they just going along with what's what's popular? Uh, they're. I think what happens is, you know, when you're not sure if you want to get on a ride, maybe an amusement park, which 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 for me would be is all rides, right? You know, or. or or maybe you think you really want to get on it. It looks really good, whatever. And then suddenly you realize, oh my God, what did I do? I think that's happening right now in a lot of places because not only in schools, by the way, I mean, corporations, nonprofits, but also K-12 schools where, where there's, there was pressure. You have to do something. And then waiting in the wings were all of these diversity, equity, inclusion consultants and these big, big, you know, highly profitable consultants, companies, organizations, whatever they are, they are um, that were ready to sort of fill that need that suddenly everybody had. Some had it because their board of directors was like, you need to do, you know what I mean? It was coming mm -hmm. from all these different directions. And so they, so they grabbed something from the shelf. That sounds great. How could it not be diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-racism? This is amazing, right? Not realizing Again, getting back to that, it's not the what, it's the how, mm -hmm. that what they had spent a lot of other people's money on was going to destroy them from within. Uh, Chloe Valdry, who you probably follow, who, yeah. um, who has the Theory of Enchantment program, which she kind of calls, you know, it's an alternative way to do anti-racism. Um, and she uses anti-racism in the old version mm -hmm. Uh, not the new version, but she said on a podcast that I watched that uh, her business was blowing up because she said CEOs and presidents of nonprofits, you know, they all 
reached for the shiny solution, not knowing what it was, you know, or they handed off the, they delegated the task Mm -hmm. and that person grabbed something. And they said that she said they're now coming to her saying, our organization has completely fallen apart at the seams. We have collapsed because of what we brought in. Can you help us put ourselves back together? So it's an acknowledgement. So, so when you do this work, like an Irshad Manji or a Chloe Valdery, you're acknowledging the reality of these very real problems, right? Racism, injustice. But you decide that you, re- you refuse to duplicate the terrible things that happened in our past, you don't, you refuse to duplicate them in search of a solution, right? So you, so you say, I'm not going to shame people. I'm not going to denigrate people. I'm not going to judge people based on their immutable characteristics, right? We're going to do, we're going to do it differently to find more common understanding. Because the reality is schools are going to have to, at some point acknowledge they are, have, are now in the dehumanization business. And there is nothing more dangerous than dehumanization, right? Because as soon as you convince yourself, whether, you know, I think it's a subconscious process mm-hmm. that happens, which makes it really scary, right? As soon as you convince yourself that a fellow human is less than, is an other, isn't fully human, well, now you can justify all sorts of things. Yep. And I truly believe that some of what we are seeing coming in from parents and from staff and from grandparents and just concerned people in the community, it, it is, it is dehumanization. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's sick. Look, I don't want to keep you too, too much longer. I just got a couple last questions for you. One is like all you mentioned, looking, you know, spending, getting these, you know, diversity counselors and whatever coming in. Like I see how much these people are getting paid. Like I I, big jobs, very big jobs. But then I look at this uh, this teacher I'd spoken to from Texas a couple of years ago. She started this thing called Clear the List and Donors Choose. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like teachers put up Amazon wish lists and they need things for their classrooms and parents buy them. Even when I was a kid, teachers would spend some money out of pocket for, you know, like little gold stars and things like that. Right. But now I'm seeing things like pencil sharpeners, you know, cleaning supplies. I'm like, okay, America whatever, whatever you want to say, like the richest country in the world. You can't put pencil sharpeners in the school, but they're spending, you know, $20,000 an hour on Ibram Kendi. These are very, (laughs) these jobs tend to pay over a hundred thousand. And that doesn't even include the fees paid to these guests that come in and the materials. I mean, I I believe that Asra Nomani just revealed recently a four hundred and $24,000 expenditure on something related to this. This is very big money. Uh, And that is a huge piece of all this, by the way, right? Like we can't pretend that this is not big business and uh, you know, and and it's not, not not there's anything wrong with profit as a motive. That's nothing, you know, these these people are running a business. My argument would be you're, you're, you know, you're paying for something that's absolutely terrible that's psychologically and emotionally damaging your children. And oh, by the way, people will say, oh, oh, look how much they care about the white kids. I mean, all the kids. When, when an African-American grandfather got up the other day and spoke at a public meeting, he spoke about how what was happening in the district, and I'm blanking right now on the name of the district, which is driving me crazy. But he spoke on um, the fact that it was crippling all the kids. Because he said, you're crippling them in different ways. You know, you're teaching my people who look like my grandson that it's hopeless to be black in America, that no matter what he does, the system is against him, that he can't get ahead. And that all these values we instilled in him, you know, that that suddenly you've decided to teach him that these are white values. So you have that, right, which is, Mm. you know, Adding to that, you're, I mean, how healthy is it to teach kids resentment, bitterness, and what appears to be turning into hatred? And then you have, you're also crippling students who feel like 
oh my God, I was born a racist. They, my, my school told me I was born a racist and there's nothing I can do about it. My school told me that I'm complicit in all the terrible things that were done by this country. You know, my school told me that even though I'm white, I shouldn't embrace my whiteness. So this is, again, so now you've crippled these kids who literally feel shame as if they were born with the original sin mm -hmm. of being born with less melanin in their skin, right? Yeah. Add to that the complete, you know, nightmare they've created for biracial and multiracial children, which is a very large number of students. And what their families did, you know, what they did by, by, by integrating, you know, becoming an integrated family and all of the, you know, beauty and progress that shows, right? They're literally seeing it being like almost like almost um, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost like spoken about in school, like it's a bad thing. And they're now telling exact words, students. Again, this is some schools, obviously not all schools. You know, you, you know, biracial Billy, you can never truly be yourself around the white members of your family because your skin is brown. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's awful. I mean, it's so, they're so out of bounds and so out of their lane. And, and what's funny is they, you know, they'll talk till they're blue in the face about social emotional learning. Well, I'm really done hearing them talk about that because you're going to abuse children psychologically and emotionally, and you're going to call that social emotional learning. I mean, what, and, 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 and let's fast forward this. What happens when, kids really take what they're being told seriously. Right. And, and they can't just shake it off. There are kids who are going to shake this off. They're either going to rebel or they're just going to blow it off. Yep. Right. Or they're gonna, that, or they're, I'm sorry. I'm just going to say like, if it's a white kid, Oh, I was born racist. There's nothing I can do about it. You know, they might be one of those assholes down in Charlottesville marching with a tiki torch. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like <laughs> kind of like, well, this is who you told me I am. So then you have the, the kids who are going to soak. They, they are eating this up. They are soaking up every single word. They are literally like taking in. No matter what I do, I can never get ahead. Everyone in the country hates me. The police hate me. My white teammates hate me. My white coaches hate me. My white teachers hate me. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you have the white kid who's saying, you know, no matter what I do, I'm just, an, I'm, there's evil inside me because I was born white. You fast forward, right. You know, if you play that out, that could end very badly. Oh yeah. It's going to, I mean, it's going to be awful. I, I, I just like, I've always, since I came back from overseas, what I've always said was what the left is doing is an overcorrection and I'm scared of it. But when the overcorrection from the right comes, I'm terrified of that. <laughs> like, you know, like that's. You that's, and I agree. I, I feel the same way. Glenn Lowry yeah. Professor Brown has talked about this, yeah. that he is feels that this is very dangerous territory because he mm -hmm. says you can you can you can tell people these things and they can deal with it to a point. Yeah. But then the dam breaks. Yep. And I keep thinking about because yeah. I don't know why I have this visual, but I just do. Right. Like, you know, when you're out and about and you see the guys in the hard hats. Right. And they're up in the buckets. Mm -hmm fixing all of our problems that we wouldn't, I wouldn't, we would never know how mm. to fix. At least I wouldn't obviously. And then you've got the guys jackhammering in the hard hats, you know, and mm. they're, and they're, or, or they're, or they're, you know, and they're beating sun and there's a porta potty on the sidewalk because that's their bathroom for the day, mm. you know, and then in their spit, you know, and then in their, and, and they, by the way, they're working class guys who are actually quite racially fluent because they work around guys from, you know, all different backgrounds and so they don't know all these stupid, fancy words that mean nothing. But like, but when it when it hits them, when suddenly people are telling them that they need to use these words or they're telling talking to them about microaggressions <laughs> or they're telling them, you know, these guys who are like volunteering on the weekends to coach kids to do all sorts of things, mm. you're going to tell them that they need to reflect on their whiteness. I'm just not sure how that's going to go. Yeah. I don't feel like that's going to go well. Oh, yeah, no, it's not going to end well at all. Okay, one last thing before I let you go, because I know you got a lot of stuff to do. Um, like, what, a, like, on on the Parents Defending Education website, like, 
like what resources, like if, if a parent goes there right now and they're, they're trying to push back, like, are you guys putting up resources or are you just documenting cases and stuff like that? That's going on. Like, so we are doing all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. So if somebody was like, oh my gosh, this thing is happening in my school. I can't believe this email I just mm-hmm. got. I can't believe this assignment my kid just had. I can't believe this, whatever. They can go to our website and they can submit a report. I think, I think it says something like have a tip or something. They can submit a report. They can remain anonymous. Most people do choose to remain anonymous. And then we look into it. And you know, some if it rises to the level of something we want to investigate further, um, it's obviously helpful the more documentation they send us, the less work it is for us. Um, so that's one thing that we do. And I, I would put that in the category of expose, right? Like we expose things that are happening, but we also provide a lot of resources on our website um, to help parents who want to better understand what's going on and also who want to, uh, you know, learn how to lift their voices and speak out against their concerns. So, and I always feel like the first step is that one of the most important things that we do is we help parents realize they're not crazy. Mm-hmm. Then we, you know, we have guides or we have suggestions on our website about what questions to ask the principal. We have suggestions about how to prepare to attend a school board meeting and speak at a school board meeting. We have um, something called understanding woke jargon, which is just, you know, parents will say, I've never heard these words in my life. And suddenly I feel like I get an email every day loaded up with these words. What are they talking about? Okay, well, we can give them, you know, a guide as to what those words mean. Mm. Um, We teach people how to file Freedom of Information Act requests. Now, if you if your kid is in a private school, you don't really have that. You know, you've kind of given up some of your rights. And so you can't file these, these complaints with Office of Civil Rights or for Freedom of Information. But either way, we teach people how to do that. And we also do it for them. You know, so sometimes it's as simple as we figure out what's going on in a district and we file it. But some parents want to do that on their own so they can learn how to do that from us. We have all sorts of parents groups up on our site so that people can look to see, wow, you know, I feel like I'm on an island. Is there anybody else who maybe thinks what I think or feels what I feel? Oh, look, there's actually a group already started in my state or in my county or in my city. Um, and then we have lots of alternative resource, like resources, including for them to suggest to their school districts, right? So you don't want to only be against something and yeah. it's not really a strong position. So if you can say, you know, we really do believe that a lot of the problems you're trying to address are re- very real problems. And we really do believe that it's important that, that students learn, you know, a brutally true version of the nation's history, right? Yep. But the way that that's occurring seems to be actually having a really damaging impact, probably actually is getting you the opposite of what you were hoping for here are some alternatives, you know, and there are so alternatives around curriculum, let's say around social studies or history, maybe uh, articles to read about people who are speaking out about this stuff. And then we have alternative curricula for diversity, equity, and inclusion work. So that somebody can say the thing you're doing with the shame and the denigration and the, and what appears to be, CRT based mm-hmm. or critical theory based, uh, you know, here's something that seems like it might be a, a much better alternative. Would you consider looking into this? Okay, that sounds great. Um, so, if you want to let parents know where they can get a hold of you, get a hold of the website, uh, you know, if they have any questions or whatever, at least they can go to the website. They'll have some, you know, they'll have some resources. So the website is defendinged.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my email, if they want to reach out to me directly, is erica at defendinged.org. Mm-hmm. Erica with a K at defendinged.org. Um, and again, if they go to the website, if they want to report something, they can. If they're just curious to see what incidents are already up on the map relate, you know, in their area or in their state, uh, they can check that out. They can scroll through all of our, you know, all of the different resources on our pages. I'm quite positive that there are some I didn't mention, but, um, and 
the truth is sometimes it's overwhelming. You're like, okay, I see all your resources. I don't even know where to begin. Can you help me? Yes, we can help you. So if you email, um, send in an incident report or reach out to us through that form or send an email to me, um, we can offer, I mean, we can hop on the phone. We do it all the time. Um, we can do all sorts of things. If you have a small group of people, that's if a group that's forming and you want some advice on how to get that started, we have a director of advocacy that gets on Zooms with groups all the time. So again, it really depends on what people need. Um, but we, our goal is to do whatever we can to expose what's going on, um, empower parents with what they need, and then for them to be able to engage in their communities in a really productive way. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on and thank you for what you're doing. Cause I mean, like I've been watching this and I'm like, this, this is not going to end up well and it needs to be pushed back on. So it's great. Well, I'm honored to be able to do the work. Thank you so much for having me. It is always a treat to see your face. I guess people are just going to be listening to us, but they don't know that we've been looking at each other while we've been talking. So, uh, and, um, you know, stay in touch with us and hopefully oh. maybe we can come back and give you an update once oh. we've, you know, been doing this for a little bit longer. Oh, for sure. Anyways, thanks again. And thanks everyone for listening. I'll be back.